rocketed from a distant planet to a bold new destiny on Earth. Found by a Kansas family and raised as Clark Kent, he learned he possessed the strength of steel, the speed of light, and the desire to help all mankind. He is Superboy. everybody, welcome to episode 201 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and this episode is going to be a little interesting as I'm covering one standalone episode and one half of a two-parter, which kind of stinks. Every other two-parter has started on an odd-numbered episode and ended on an even, so the two episodes always made it into this, the two parts always made it into the same episode, but... We weren't going to stay lucky forever, I guess, as this week I'm covering West of Alpha Centauri and Threesome Part 1. Get your mind out of the gutter, Jesus. All right, so before I get to uh, these two episodes, I have feedback to address. Feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave's writing in on episode number 190, in which I discussed the two-part episode, Rebirth. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. I certainly understand your fondness for Rebirth as one of the best stories of the series. The fear that Superboy might, even unknowingly and accidentally, cause someone's death would certainly be a concern for ordinary people, law enforcement, and Superboy himself, and I think this story did a good job of exploring that from Superboy's point of view. Law enforcement and ordinary citizens seemed less upset by it in this case. I thought it was a brilliant idea on the part of Llewellyn. Double L so you know he's important. I wouldn't be surprised if his quote, unstated first name was Lloyd, who cunningly realized that Superboy's biggest vulnerability is his concern for others. It was good to see Mom Pa Kent's concern for their son while letting him work out his feelings and his decision for his own future. Of course, his decision not to use his powers is ultimately untenable. He can't help but use his invulnerability, for example, or maybe even his superhearing or vision powers to some extent. What he was really doing was choosing not to use his powers to try to help people. And that couldn't last. He is, either by nature or nurture, or both, a man who helps. I think both his parents, who know him best, know this about him. Martha, especially. They know he realizes on his own, and give him gentle advice and support for whatever he decides, having faith that he will choose his best path. This episode gives a good view of some of Superboy's inner life, and points the direction he will follow as he grows into manhood. I'm looking forward to your next episode with Superboy facing another supernatural foe in Werewolf, and the return of Metallo. Live long and prosper, Dave McElvenny. Well, as always, Dave, thank you for writing in. Yeah, I didn't uh, hide the fact in the slightest of my fondness for the Rebirth 2 Parter. It's one of my favorite episodes of, of the series. Like like I said, when I covered this episode, right up there to, for me, with Roads Not Taken as really the best this show has to offer. I looked forward to covering it when, when I did. Because, you know, Dave is absolutely right. The fear that Superboy might accidentally cause someone's death is a concern, especially for Superboy. Especially a Superboy who, you know, is kind of still developing. I mean, he's always not wanted to kill people, but, you know, when you're this young and you think you've erred that much, it can be a major setback, and I'm glad that they showed it here. This isn't something that I would like to see a ton with Superman, but you can, you know, deconstruct the character a little more when he's uh, younger and still forming. Honestly, this was probably one of the best deconstructions of the character I've ever seen on screen in 40 minutes, you know. And it wasn't cruel like the uh, Zack Snyder treatment from uh, Batman v Superman. And uh, you're right, you know, law enforcement and ordinary citizens seemed uh, less upset by it in this case. Uh, especially law enforcement, I think, uh, you know, I think cops know that in cases like this, they're... Somebody can end up killed, so I don't know if you can ever prepare for it, but they're at least trained for the eventuality. So I think the police officer at the beginning of that episode was trying to reassure him that, you know, there was no harm going to come to him. It's not like he knowingly killed Winston. It was just a tragic accident. It is unfortunate that these things do happen. Not that I would call somebody who is in on it collateral damage, but you know what? 
we found out what it, what really was going on anyway. It was a murder by uh, by the gang, and you know Dave is right. It was a a brilliant plan by uh, Llewellyn. A lot more uh, underhanded than uh, maybe something Winston have done, and that's why Llewellyn uh, sought leadership of the gang. Yeah, Llewellyn with his double double L's. Well, he's got double L's in his name, and Dave mentioned that he would w- would be surprised if Llewellyn's unstated first name was Lloyd. Honestly, I got the impression that Llewellyn was his first name. They really didn't seem to use a lot of last names. There was Winston, there was Dexter, Desmond. So a lot of first names being used. I don't actually think there were any last names. Uh, so I guess I'll have to settle for the two double L's in Llewellyn's name. And yeah, it was really good to see uh, Ma and Pa Kent's concern for Clark. A little more so on Ma's end. Like I said, I think this episode was a great showcase from, uh, I don't know, Pa just seemed happy to have the help with the farm work. So, But you're right. He couldn't uh, stop helping people. He couldn't uh, do that any more than he could let Pa's arm get swallowed up by the drill bit. I think if he knew that he could have saved somebody and didn't do anything about it, that would uh, mess him up even more. So I really don't have anything else to add on that. Thank you, Dave, for writing in. If you want to write in as well, man the screen at gmail.com. Now I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. When I come back, west of Alpha Centauri. Hang around, folks. Dr. Fate. Dr. Midnight. Starman. Johnny Quick. Wildcat. Power Girl. All-Star Squadron. Firebrand. Amazing Man. Huntress. Cyclone. Sandman. Mr. Terrestrial. Commander Steel. Seven Soldiers of Liberty. Infinity Incorporated. Those are just some of the celebrated and beloved heroes associated with Earth 2 and the Justice Society of America. These daring mystery men and women banded together in 1940 to form the first super team in comics. They inspired a decades-long legacy of heroes who would follow in their footsteps, and now they've inspired us to launch a new podcast. Justice Society presents a new anthology on the Fire and Water Podcast Network featuring a variety of themed shows with different hosts celebrating some of their favorite comics and characters associated with the Golden Age of Comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. We'll launch this new series with an ongoing show called Justice Society Presents Crisis, in which Rob and Shag go through each of the classic team-ups between the Justice League and the Justice Society. Then joining the podcast feed will be the Starman Chronicles. Chris and Cindy continue their coverage of James Robinson's epic series from beginning to end. Later in the year, Ryan Daly and Max Romero will tackle the Vertigo title, Sandman Mystery Theater. And two years later, Ryan will cancel it. That's probably. Then in the coming months and years, we'll be adding further ongoing shows and one-off specials celebrating other beloved characters and comics related to the JSA of any era, from the 1940s to today. Join the fight for justice and subscribe to Justice Society Presents on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to start this episode off with West of Alpha Centauri. Original broadcast date was February 2nd, 1992. If I recorded this tomorrow, it would have been the 29th episode of the air date, but I did not. It was directed by Jefferson Gibby. I don't think I've called that name before, written by Mark Jones. Guest cast included Gregory Boyd as Tai not sure who he is, Andrew B. Clark as Captain Vladek, Kevin Quigley as Sage, Darren Dowler as the first mate, Angie McKnight as Zoran, Patrick Cherry as Oric, and Michael Monroe as the Bomb Squad leader. And our synopsis is brought to you by Wikipedia, kind of. I uh, filled in some gaps myself, too. Same with the uh, synopsis for Threesome Bar 1. And I'll probably be doing that going forward because the uh, synopses that I'm able to find online right now are not really complete. So I have to uh, fill them out a little bit, which is actually easier than I thought it was. So uh, here we go. Superboy and Lana are kidnapped and taken aboard a spaceship whose destination is the Paradise Planet just west of Alpha Centauri. Inside the ship, Superboy finds most of the occupants are prisoners of a deranged captain. And they all believe Superboy is their savior from an old prophecy. Are you the one? What do you mean? The one we've been waiting for all these years. The great warrior. There's a good argument here for lying, you know. We were brought here against our will. We want to know why. We're all here against our will. But please, you haven't answered our question. 
I'm not sure I understand it. These are the lamentations of our people. They were carved before I was born. A long time ago, our planet became barren. Food would no longer grow in its soil. This craft was built to take us to another planet. A new fertile place near Alpha Centauri. But after years of travel, we never got there. Some of us thought it was the captain's fault. There was a mutiny. He put you all here? He brought our parents here. That's the grandfather of the present captain. Who's just as bad. He's put many of us here since. Our only hope has been... It's been this great prophecy. Have mercy on us. Help us. One thing's for sure. We're not staying here. But the jail is the stronger than Superboy, and he can't escape without the help of the prisoners, who are too busy fighting amongst themselves. When he tries, the captain orders Lana put in solitary, and Superboy must make a deal with the captain to set her free. At last, I get to meet our newest resident. I trust you've been comfortable so far. I want Lana back right now. Your friend, who you obviously feel strongly about, is, shall we say, someplace safe until you and I can work out an arrangement. Arrangement? I need something from you, and now you need something from me. We can trade. And what is it that you need? Your cooperation. It is essential to me that the prisoners remain, how shall I say, focused on each other so that I might run the ship more smoothly. I can't have you in there causing trouble. Then why did you bring us here? The prophecy? I don't know how it got started, but they all believe it, and it gives them hope. Hope that one day they'll escape before they've been properly rehabilitated. But seeing you helpless in there, the symbol of their hope, they'll know they can't. When our uh, viewing screens picked that up. I knew you belonged here. Captain, if there's so much discontent, why don't you just step down? Step down? Impossible. I'm the only one who knows where we're going. And where's that? Paradise. A planet just uh, west of Alpha Centauri. West? Oh, don't you worry about that. Do we have a deal? All right. But if Lana's hurt, Oh, oh, no, 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 she's alive and well. Barely. Captain, you believe in the prophecy too, don't you? What if I did? It's broken now. It can't come true. Having capitulated to the captain's demands, the groups turn on Superboy and begin fighting each other. Superboy stops the fighting by challenging one of the guards to a fight. During the fight... What do you promise? That when you get to the new world that you be leader? Well, it isn't going to happen. He's going around in circles. He doesn't want to get to the new planet, even if it exists. Because as soon as he gets there, he's not going to be the captain anymore. What do you tell you? West of Alpha Centauri, there is no west in outer space. Or north or south or east. He doesn't know what he's doing. How dare he question my judgment? Go to the captain now. See if I'm telling the truth. The fight stops and the guard starts to try to push down the cell wall. Superboy, and then everyone else, helps them as they knock down the wall and are free. They work together to overthrow the captain. As a boy, my father told me of a planet where everything was perfect. There was plenty of food, water, everyone lived in peace. That's where I wanted to go. Had I know it was only a dream. We'd appreciate it if you would return us to the Earth. 
I kind of hoped you'd stay on with us. There's so much that we can still learn from you. No, I think you've learned everything you need to know. But I'd suggest you go back to your home planet and try to make it work there. An excellent idea. So what are you going to do with him? I think there's only one thing we can do. Full speed ahead! Let's get this bucket of bolts moving! What's taking so long? Is this a crew or a bunch of primadonnas? Get your backs into it, you slugs! This is your captain speaking! Your, I know we're, we're going to paradise! We're going to paradise! Just west of Alpha Centauri! I know where it is! Follow me! I know! I know! Is anyone here listening? All right, this is an episode that I had you know, some memory of from way back in the day. I hadn't seen this episode since it aired in 1992. The only thing I really remembered was the beginning when uh, Sage kind of wipes down the wall and you see Superboy's S-Shield on the wall and they were waiting for him. They think he's some kind of savior. So this episode starts off the same place all good Superboy stories start. They It starts in the Bureau for Extra Normal Matters. And here we are, starting with a hazmat team that's looking at a cube that's making some kind of noise. They called in Superboy, hoping he could get into it. And even though it doesn't appear to be made of lead, he can't see into the device either. So now it's starting to rumble a little bit. So he uses the heat vision, which is probably very safe in the Bureau, unsafe in the Bureau office. Here they are trying to defuse this thing right in the Bureau office with everybody watching. Run, people! Or even if you don't run, Leave it in an orderly fashion. This thing is going to blow up, but these idiots are standing there gawking at it. So, Superboy gets into the into the bomb. He pulls the wire. And apparently, he sent out the, to a signal to uh, this big hulking dude in um, looks like a gladiator outfit or something. And he kind of grabs a hold of Superboy and is overpowering him a little bit, which that's not something we see every day. And Lana shows off her fine brain power by trying to save Superboy from this guy. And, you know... Lana's heart is in the right place here, but really? he Superboy can't do anything here. What's making you think you can do something there, Lana? And what she ends up doing is nothing, as in a big puff of smoke, they're gone and they uh, rematerialize somewhere else. We don't know where, but they are sent into what appears to be some kind of jail cell. It's a very dingy place, but Superboy seems to have determined that they're not on Earth. Not sure how he knows this, but he does. Perhaps he is x-raying the ship with his x-ray vision and sees outer space beyond it. I don't know. So now he's uh, determined that it's a trap, and apparently whoever they are knew that he would be the one to disarm the bomb. That doesn't seem to be much of a leap in logic at all. So now here comes some more people. This, uh, what I thought originally was a prison cell, seems to be more like a zoo habitat. And all the, uh, I don't know if they're refugees or what, but this is all the people that the captain kind of Stuck in the uh, in his little uh, cell in this big cell here. Looks like he uh, maybe converted a cargo bay or something of that nature. Well, anyway, this is the part where I that I really remember most out of the episode where uh, they come out, they start worshiping Superboy, and at one point Sage, like I said, Sage will wipe down the wall, and we're going to reveal Superboy's symbol. And uh, the captain thinks that bringing Superboy on this ship was a good idea. His uh, second-in-command here, or first mate, or major domo, whatever this guy is, he doesn't think it was a good idea, but more on that later. The leader, Sage, asks if he's uh, the great warrior they've been looking for, and Superboy is confused. And uh, this is uh, where we learn that everyone is prisoners, and uh, by cleaning the walls, we get the story. Uh, the monk shows that their planet went barren. Maybe there was some drought, I don't know, doesn't really matter. They're not on the planet anymore. He shows a picture of the spaceship which looks like the ship that we've been seeing in space, flying through space. That was supposed to take his people to a new planet near Alpha Centauri. And uh, this is a generation ship. For those of you unfamiliar with the term, it's uh, not that we have these things in real life, but uh, you know, it's a science fiction concept where, you know, kind of like an arc almost, where uh, entire populations live on this ship for however long it takes to get to where they're going. I mean, space is vast. It could take lifetimes to get somewhere. And... Instead of going into cryo-freeze, these people are basically living their lives on the ship. Hope there's a lot to do. If you, That's uh, some serious commitment right there. 
And uh, the captain that we see here is, uh, he is the grandson of the original captain. So apparently everybody has their role here. And there's a prophecy of the one who would save them. And uh, there it is. Superboy's that shield. And he's the one. And, you know, what I did like about this story is that Superboy doesn't save them outright. He gives them the means to save themselves, which I thought was good. So Superboy is determined to get out and uh, the people are cheering him on. But his abilities here either don't work or these bars are too hard. I figured out that the materials are impervious to Superboy's abilities because his heat vision works. And the metal is actually harder than the bomb, so he can't affect it. So Superboy is not really used to encountering things that he can't do anything about. And this is one instance where his abilities really make him no better than anyone else. So this captain is a bit of an ass here as he's uh, having his uh, second-in-command here wipe his chin. And apparently the guy has to say something really uh, flowery about his captain once every 20 seconds. And he's going to brag about the captain's intelligence because... I guess his role is to uh, inflate the man's ego. Now we're going to a uh, little science class. Uh, Superboy's going to become a one-man water processing plant as he kills the germ by boiling it and then freeze breath to cool it so Lana can drink it. Well, that upsets, uh, what's her name? Zorin, who uh, apparently that water belongs to her faction, and uh, I think that makes them the Minorites. And Superboy thinks that the water should be everyone for everyone, and uh, she disagrees. What we're going to see here is that there is very strong prejudice between the various groups on the ship. The Minorites, Sages people, I think there's another group hidden in there somewhere. And then there are the guards and the captain. Lots of hatred between all these people. And Superboy is shocked that she is as strong as he is. And some of the other group are as strong as he is too, but, you know, Superboy didn't know why they don't, didn't break out. You know, it just seems elementary to him, really, because... He doesn't understand why they wouldn't work together to get out. They're all in the same situation. They all need to make it better for each other. And he doesn't understand why they're squabbling over a horse trough full of water. He's not wrong. But it's obvious it would benefit these people to help each other. But their own hatreds and prejudices are getting in the way of good sense, which is a problem. It's a problem this episode. It's a problem on Earth in 1992. It is a problem on Earth and in the United States here in 2021. And regrettably, a problem that's not going anywhere anytime soon. So none of these factions trust each other. And Superboy basically makes his speech telling them that they are no threat to the captain while they're squabbling. And he's right. And the captain knows this. All he wants is to keep the three groups at each other's throats so he can reap the benefits, so he can live comfortably in the captain's cabin and fly this ship around in circles all his life. Very childish. So one guy looks like he's about to run off and report what's happening to someone, but I don't know why the captain needs anybody to report anything. He can already see into the cell, unless his uh, informant doesn't know that. And the first mate takes another opportunity to show how bloodthirsty he is. Maybe he thinks that's a way to impress the captain. To He wants to wipe them all out, or at least, or at the very least, kill Superboy. And he, being the, he being the captain, rejects both pretty much out of hand. He says the jail was built for law and order, which is fine, but he won't make Superboy a martyr, which is probably smart as well. So the guy that ran off reported to the captain, and uh, he is returned to his cell, but he also kind of gets a little bit of a beating from the captain to uh, kind of show that he faced consequences for escaping. So now the captain's plan is to pull Lana out of the cell, and the guards take her to solitary confinement, which is right next to the engines. And... Uh, the heat in there is pretty intense. So this is all part of the captain's plot here. He, uh, Superboy is brought to the captain, who wants Superboy's cooperation in exchange for Lana's rescue from solitary. Superboy is not in a position here where he can be proactive. I'm sure he'd love to be proactive, but he is in a situation where he does, that he does not know how to get himself out of, and he knows he wants to unite the prisoners, but the captain wants Superboy to stop uniting the prisoners. He kind of wants, uh, so Superboy wants the captain to step down, but apparently the captain is the only one who knows where they're going. And that's uh, where we first hear the phrase that they're, that they're going west of Alpha Centauri. But, you know, there's no west in outer space. And Superboy begins to point that out, but I like how the captain just kind of dismisses that. You know, this is where Superboy learns that the captain doesn't really know where he's going, and I don't think there was any paradise planet waiting for these people. 
who have spent many generations aboard this ship. So Superboy is going to uh, pretend to be broken, and the warriors bring Lana back as Superboy, who and Lana is looking uh, quite sweaty. She should probably be a little bit dehydrated, but nope, just a little bit of sweat. And uh, Superboy tries to convince the the factions of the cell to work without him. But the only, <laughs> the only way they're going to do that is after they kill each other, which is exactly what the captain wants. Could you imagine if Congress was like this? They're close. They're getting there, but not quite yet. So meanwhile, the only thing Lana wants is to get out of there, but Superboy doesn't have an answer for her. And I think part of the problem now is he's kind of honor-bound to keep his word to the captain. I wonder what would happen if, or how he would feel about it if he had to go back on his word to the captain. So he, being that he only promised uh, the captain that he would no longer work to unite the prisoners, I guess now that Lana's out of uh, solitary, Superboy has another card he can play. He's going to challenge one of the guards to a test of strength. And he wants a fight to the finish. A fight to the finish because me, me spinach. So, and then Superboy asks, uh, that is the, is the captain afraid that his guard might lose? And the captain can't be backed into a corner here. He can't look weak. So he has to let the guard fight. And the captain is willing now to let Superboy be a martyr. And he's going to let him fight the guard. And the fight begins. <laughs> I kind of wonder who all these people are rooting for. They were very angry at Superboy at one point. Now, uh, but I guess now that he's fighting the guard, they're all rooting for him. And this is where Superboy points out that which any of us who understand space, even the slightest, knows. Superboy convinces everyone that the captain is incompetent, and, and he brings out the truth. There are no compass points in space. You cannot go west of Alpha Centauri. And that gets uh, the guard to stop. But however, I still don't think any of these other people are convinced. But the guard is uh, starting to push work on the prison cell wall, and then Superboy helps him, and then everybody else helps. And in an act of togetherness, the uh, wall conveniently comes down in one piece. You know, for as strong as all these people are, they're not very strong in the brain. Because I kind of wonder why none of them had thought of that before. So now uh, Zorin and Sage are working together as they march out of the cell. Apparently Superboy has united the people by fighting the guard and revealing the truth. And uh, now uh, the captain is, I don't know if I want to say he's been arrested, but he's definitely uh, not in control. And uh, the captain said he was told of the planet by his father, but... Now he realizes that it was either only a dream or made up. Superboy wants to go home, but the natives hoped he'd kind of stay on board to help teach them. But Superboy tells them they've learned all that they need from him. They learned to work together, to overcome their prejudices for a common cause. And they're going to go back to their world, and hopefully they're going to... Uh, hopefully it's recovered in the uh, several generations that at least these people have been gone. If anyone left back on the planet, maybe they've uh, maybe they fixed a few things. Maybe their plan is a little bit better. You know, sometimes it takes an outside force to make warring sides see that they have similar goals. And it would be nice to have some of that in the real world. So we end with the captain, is he's in the jail now, still pretending to be the captain, and he's yelling. Apparently he's uh, lost his mind if he ever really had it to begin with. So this episode seemed like the kind of thing you'd see in a Silver or Bronze Age comic. Again, it's a positive viewing of the effect that Superboy has on people, and it was an episode that I remembered. The images on the wall, very memorable, but I just kind of didn't remember the details. But, you know, I like stuff that shows Superboy or Superman, you know, inspiring people to do better and to do more and to overcome. And, again, it's still, we don't see enough stories like that. So it was an okay episode, not a standout by any means. So now I'm going to take another break, play another promo. When I come back, threesome, part one. Hang around, folks. Did you leave the car running, Andy? I did. I'm not sure why, but I did. It, it, it's important. Like getting these comics from Ryan and Chris's Nightcast offices. Why are we getting these comics from Ryan and Chris? So, since Nightcast isn't covering what they originally set out to cover, I thought it would be fun to talk about the Jim Starlin run of Batman. So, we're getting the comics from them to do that. And, and they know that we're doing this? What, that we're covering Batman issues 414 to 430? Yeah, totally. I, I checked in with them and everything. So you got permission to get these comics, which includes the storylines Ten Knights of the Beast, The Cult, and The Death in the Family. I totally told them we were covering these books, yes. And we're starting these episodes in May. That is, if you actually edit them on time. 
Yeah, Andy. The the series starts in May and can be found on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and at www.fortressofdaily2.com. Busting my balls and everything. All right, right. Let's let's hurry up. There are listeners that want to hear this, and I have to get back to Atlanta in 28 hours when I get my flight home. No problem. I got the comics right here. What's going on here? Andy? Mike? What are you doing here? Why do you have our comics? Say, Mike... Yes, Andy. We didn't get permission to take these comics, did we? No, Andy. And when you told me to get the box out of the car, you were really picking the lock to get in here? Yes, Andy. So what do we do now? Well, uh, we could try to talk our way out of this, but when I tell you to run, run! The Overlooked Dark Knight covers the Jim Starlin Batman run, a multi-part series of episodes beginning in May of 2020. From the grisly dumpster killings, to a death in the family, and everything in between. The Overlooked Dark Knight is part of the Fortress of Bailey-Tude podcasting network, located at www.fortressofbailey-tude.com. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and Spotify. I'm gonna barbecue your ass in molasses! Alright, welcome back folks. We're gonna finish this episode off with Threesome. Original broadcast date was February 9th, 1992. Directed by David Nutter. Written by Stan Berkowitz. Guest cast included Sherman Howard as Lex Luthor, Justina Vale as Dr. Odessa Vexman, Michael Callan as John Corbin slash Metallo, David Hess as Donnie, and Bob Barnes as the Warden. And our synopsis is kind of brought to you by Wikipedia. Again, it's the same thing. I embellished a little bit to uh, fill it out a little bit. So, Luthor and Metallo are broken out of prison by Odessa Vexman, the prison psychiatrist, and the three joined forces to finally get rid of the source of their mutual frustration, Superboy. Yeah, pal. Hey, easy, easy. She went to a lot of trouble to set this up. She? Well, well, well. The amazing Dr. Vaxman. Tell me, is this your idea of play therapy? This is no game, Lex. And I was serious when we talked about cooperation. Mm-hmm. So was I. Better hear the lady out. I did. What's in this for you? <laughs> oh. I hope you have medical insurance. What could possibly be worth that? Superboy. Ah. How did I know that? Now, what do you have against Superboy? A long time ago. A long time ago what? A long time ago I knew him. That's all. Now, what's it going to be, Lex? He'll be flying over again any minute. All I need to do is honk the horn or flash the lights. He'll catch you too. If I can't kill him, I don't care what happens to me. So, what about it? My way? Or the highway? Kinda like the Magnificent Seven, huh? <laughs> More like Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Lana is feeling homesick and takes a leave of absence from the Bureau. Lana, where are you going? Oh, I just took a leave of absence. What? It's okay. It's only for a week or two. Are you all right? Yeah. I'm fine. I just need to get away for a while. To Smallville. Uh, yeah, pretty obvious, huh? You want to come with me? I, I can't. Well, they let me go. I don't understand why they wouldn't let you go. Well, I'm sure they would, but I kind of wanted to stick around and see what happens with Luther and Metallo. It's over. They got away. That's up to the police. Well, Superboy should... No, he shouldn't! It's, it's out of his hands now, Clark. 
I'll see you later. If, if you change your mind, you know where I'll be. Odessa Vexman. The police think she may have been involved in getting Luther and Mattello out of prison. I know. I heard it on the news. Hell hath no fury. What does that mean? Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Well, it means that... I know what the quote means. I was wondering, what does it have to do with this? You remember how Odessa was working for the guy who was going to let that virus loose in the city a few years back? Yeah, Superboy stopped him. But he wouldn't have been able to if Odessa hadn't switched sides to help him. I know. She was acquitted of all charges. I always wonder why she did that. Mark, <laughs> you are truly unbelievable. Matt, you don't think that... Superboy didn't lead her on. He didn't want her to think that... That doesn't matter. It's how she felt about him that's the problem. But how could that be his fault? That doesn't make any sense. That sort of thing seldom does. Superboy investigates the prison break and is given the file of Odessa Vexman, who he has met before. Lana gets off the bus in Smallville and is disgusted to find a poker parlor in downtown Smallville. Jim? Lana, what are you doing here? I, I just took a few weeks off. Oh, it's great to see you again. I figured hell would freeze over before you'd come back. Well, you never know. <laughs> um, can I ask you something? Is that what I think it is? Yeah, it's a poker parlor. Isn't that illegal? Well, you know how bad the economy's been around here. A lot of farms were failing. Well, this developer just came into town, and Mr. Trenton said if we legalized gambling, it'd help build the town up. Yeah, he just opened this place, and he's got a couple others on the edge of town. He's really turning the place around. He's turning it into a sewer. <laughs> you sound like some of the old people. Well, honest, it's what the town wants now. Back in Capital City, Odessa is throwing grenades at the cars and Superboy confronts her on the street. Odessa! Superboy, my old friend. You and I were never friends. Except when you needed something from me. You helped me because it was the right thing to do. I helped you because... Because you wanted something from me. Maybe. But now there's only one thing I want. Hiya, pal. You and me got some history, too. <laughs> episode of season four a two-parter you know it's always nice to have a team up of comic villains you know we have a team up of two really top tier superman villains and this woman that nobody's ever heard of before and she's organizer she's actually leading metallo and luthor that premise is a little faulty but i guess we'll just have to roll with it and uh, see where it takes us shall we 
So we started out of prison with Lex talking to his psychiatrist about his need to dominate and control others to improve his to prove his superiority. His answer is that he needs to prove himself superior because he is and because others are too stupid to realize it. I think it's ego and he needs to prove it to himself. I actually think, despite his huge ego, Lex Luthor is somewhat insecure in the face of Superboy and has to prove his, himself better than him to overcome that insecurity. So, as I was watching this sequence with Luthor and the psychiatrist, I thought she looked familiar and I kind of wondered if I had seen her somewhere before. Well, I have. She's played by Justina Vale, who was Dr. Winger's assistant in The Road to Hell. So, and she hadn't acted in quite some time, and she didn't really do anything else that I had seen other than the other Superboy 2-parter, which is kind of interesting because I just finished editing the Road to Hell episode the other night. So, and uh, she also did an episode of Highlander that I don't really remember. So, the gimmick here is that the prisoner needs to be sane at execution, and she doesn't doubt that Lex will escape, and she's actually encouraging him to change his pattern. She's suggesting that he can kill Superboy if he changes. So, it's clear that she's playing an angle. She reminds Lex that he needs some people to help him do what he wants to do, and she says she has her own reasons for helping him. She thinks he'll be well on his way to sanity if he learns to cooperate with his fellow man, and she wants him to cooperate with Metallo. Yes, a team-up. This is the last season of the show. I don't know if they knew that when they made this episode, but, you know, it's hard to believe it's taking this long for a Luthor Metallo team-up. And I love the way Michael Callan as Metallo and Sherman Howard as Luthor play off each other. Metallo gets wheeled into the room, uh, looking all the worse for wear because he doesn't have any kryptonite in his chest. And Lex just starts cracking up because he doesn't think Metallo can help him. Basically calls him an out-of-date hunk of junk or something like that. But they are both here in jail because of Superboy. Now, I think the insanity thing with uh, Lex is pushing, I think Lex is perfectly sane, but, and does things because he's evil. You know, some apples are just rotten, but I don't think he's insane. I think he knows exactly what he's doing. So, now that we get to the Lana storyline in this episode, which I'm not, honestly, normally, I don't like to watch ahead, and this morning after I watched these two episodes, I was tempted to watch Threesome Part 2, but I decided not to because I didn't want my coverage of this episode to be colored by what I see in part two. So I don't remember this Lana storyline, and so I don't really remember where where it's going. So Lana is going through all the files which references old episodes, and they're all closed. So she throws them all down. I'm guessing this episode was written during the off-season between seasons three and four, so everything that's referenced are season three episodes and nothing from the first half of season four is referenced. So... She throws down a folder. An alien that wanted to marry Superboy and kill Lana. That's Neela. A demon that tried to take our souls. That's the episode Carnival. A gang that almost took over the city. That's Rebirth, which I talked about in Dave's letter in the opening sequence. And then she referred to the werewolf and the golem, which were from the ep- their respective episodes of the same name. And then she referred to a couple of Satanists. This one I'm not sure about. Unless she's referring to A Wish for Armageddon, but that was only one Satanist. <laughs> so... Basically, Lana is wondering what it would be like to have a normal life. Clark reminds her that she hated her normal life with Smallville, and uh, Lana seems to be having some second thoughts about that. You know, and I'm so was wondering as we start going into this scene, uh, what's going on? What's got Lana down? So, meanwhile, as that's going on, it's into cut with a bit of a prison riot, and someone drops a kryptonite near Metallo's cell. We don't know who at first, so he's back in business. He puts the kryptonite in his chest and. Uh, Help and gets out of his cell under his own power. You know, I thought he was going to uh, turn around for a minute and say goodbye to uh, the collection of swimsuit photos on his wall here, but he takes one, kisses the photo, and then leaves with it. He leaves the uh, some of the other swimsuit models for future cellmates to enjoy, or maybe for himself to enjoy when he ends up back there. So the Metallo kind of wanders off by Lex's cell, and uh, he offers to break Luthor out, but he want, like, wants Lex to suffer and leaves him to rot for all the insults that he made in Dr. Vexman's office. I kind of uh, wondered what Metallo kind of wanted out of this. Did he want Lex to apologize for the things he said to him? And honestly, just I was waiting for Lex to apologize to Metallo just because Lex is so desperate to get out of there that he'd probably do anything to get out, even apologize to Metallo. But nope, <laughs> Metallo just leaves. Someone else opens the door and then clocks Lex on the head with a baseball bat. It sounds very cartoony. Kind of hear a... And then... Lex just kind of falls right over, stiff as a board. 
So um, Lana is still down. She um, saying that she misses the stars and you can't see them in Capital City because of the lights and the pollution. And again, she's getting wistful for Smallville. And uh, they're talking about a telescope, which anytime you think of a telescope in Smallville, you think of Lana. Anytime you think of a telescope in Lana, you think of small of the of the, the Smallville show. But it's clear that Clark has kind of moved on from Smallville. Lana still kind of waxes uh, nostalgic about the telescope. But Clark brings up that she got poison ivy. Not like Clark to dwell on the negative. But it just kind of shows that where Clark is at and where he's at is having moved on from Smallville for better or for worse. So now we learn from the TV news that Lex and Metallo were free. Now the TV is out in the main uh, office and out of Jackson's. And Lana is worried because he's never beaten both at the same time. Understandable. So Clark leaves, looks pensive for a moment. And then we got a pretty good shirt rip. You know, he walks out of the uh, office bureau, bureau office into the hallway and he kind of looks around. And then it's almost Superman 3-ish where he does the rip and the uh, camera just zooms in on the S. So he, I assume he's going out toward the prison and apparently he flew right over a truck that was carrying Alexa Metallo. And this is when we learn uh, that Dr. Vexman, the, uh, the prison shrink, has set this up. And now she's looking quite different. So she's got some big hair and... Uh, She's no longer wearing a business suit. And at first, I'm kind of wondering uh, what her angle is. Apparently, she knew him a long time ago. So, again, it's, why do we know this woman? Why does she want revenge on Superboy? Why does she want him dead? You know, a part of me wondered if it was a reference to one of those old episodes that Lana was reviewing the case files for. But what we end up with is kind of this unholy alliance that Lex describes as Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. I guess it's easy to tell which one Frankenstein is. So it's very easy to see that the prison was an inside job. And I love how Superboy just asked for the personnel files and they hand it over. This stuff is typically confidential, but I guess since it's Superboy, you know, why not hand it over to him? I wonder what would happen nowadays if Superman would ask for these. Would they be given to him? I don't know. So they already suspect Dr. Vexler and uh, Superboy knows her. I don't know if she was Odessa Vexler or Vexman, whatever her name was, before then? If so, how did she get this job? Again, like I said, we know nothing about her. But she's in charge here, and she slaps them both, and they both act like they're going to hit her back, and then they, then she starts crying. So Lana is taking a... So now we learn Lana is taking a leave of absence for a week or two from the Bureau, and she's going home. She's freaking out over Lex and Metallo being out of prison together, and uh, she wants Clark to come to Smallville with her to uh, get away. Not sure early on what to make of this Lana story arc. Again, I didn't watch ahead, so I don't know where it's going in the part two. So, okay, so here's her Odessa's uh, backstory because we need Matt to deliver an exposition. Matt kind of s- puts forth the saying, you know, no hell hath no fear like a woman scored, scorned. So apparently Odessa was working with somebody who was setting loose a virus in uh, Capital City, and Superboy stopped her after Odessa switched sides. Clark didn't understand why Odessa switched sides. So apparently we're supposed to believe that Superboy led her on romantically to get her to switch sides. Obviously due to Clark's reaction, he didn't, or at least didn't mean to. Matt agrees that it doesn't make sense. So it's just one of those things that we have to take their words for. Sometimes it's nice to hear about adventures we didn't see, but I think for an episode like this, it would be much more impactful if they had pulled somebody from a past episode. But, you know, I don't know who. Maybe a good choice would have been Llewellyn, but he wound up dead. I mean, I don't know who else was memorable enough to bring back. And that's part of the problem for as comic booky as this show is, the villain roster is not very deep beyond Luthor and Metallo. So I guess they had to make somebody up to make this work. I mean, like I said, the only other memorable villain in this show, I mean, really memorable, and especially from the ranks of season three would have been Llewellyn, but he wound up dead. But this is definitely the kind of thing I could could have seen him doing, too. But uh, maybe not for the reason uh, Odessa's doing it. But I think if Llewellyn wasn't killed in Rebirth, he could have fit here just as well. And it probably would have made for a better episode. So Lana is uh, back in Smallville with one suitcase. And she's happy to be home until she sees a gaming club opening in downtown Smallville. Apparently, the town has legalized gambling and it's turning Smallville into a sewer, in Lana's words. Very judgmental, and the uh, cop here, who apparently was some kind of was a friend, they know each other, and he says she sounds like some of the old folks. And I guess Lana is, uh, you know, kind of getting wistful for what 
Smallville was. I think she's kind of had enough of Capital City, at least at this point. I don't know if this goes anywhere beyond this episode. I don't even really know where this storyline is going and how it relates to anything else in the episode. I'd imagine it doesn't. I didn't watch ahead to part two, so I don't know. I don't really remember that. A part of me really wanted to watch part two after I finished part one this morning, but I didn't. So I guess we'll have to wait and see what the uh, Lana plot line is. I mean, honestly, I thought sending Lana home to Smallville was a way to kind of get her out of the story so she's not this, the damsel in, the, in distress, but maybe Stacey Hyatt's contract states that she has to be in every episode, so maybe they can't do that. So instead we have this story, which might just take up valuable episode time. I don't know. So now we got a very hard cut. And very, it was a jarring cut, too, so suddenly nighttime in Capital City. You go right from Lana and Smallville to a car exploding. The two extremes in thought right there. So Odessa is uh, bombing cars. And she timed that one well enough to uh, strike a pose as the car exploded. So now they're going to argue over Superboy and Odessa are over why she helped Superboy stop the virus. They both agree that one wanted something from the other. And that and basically all it was was a trap for Metallo to show up with his kryptonite. And uh, now Superboy getting all green around the gills. Now I remember what happens uh, next. Uh, at least, well, not quite next. After uh, Superboy takes care of Metallo by blinding him with Super Breath and uh, tricking him to fall into a sewer. Lex postulates that Superboy can't turn off his super hearing. And he shows up with this sonic bullhorn that just shatters Superboy's equilibrium. And he's got Superboy already weakened by the kryptonite. He is uh, backing off, going unconscious. And between the kryptonite and the high frequency that no one else can hear, Superboy's in serious trouble. And that's where the episode leaves us. And that's where I'm going to leave my coverage. Well, it's a good start. Again, I wish the threesome had been three characters we'd seen before, but oh well. You know, this was an episode that I didn't record, but I do remember the team the team up with Metallo, and I remember Lex with his sonic device, but not much else. But it was a good start to a two-parter, and I look forward to next week when I cover the second part. Next time, we're going to finish off the story with threesome part two, and out of luck. Till then, you want to leave feedback, so always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast to your search feed and the show shook them up. You also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. Until next time, folks, we're all on the same team. The Manascreen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. Emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.